All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We began a series last week entitled Bless This Home, and so we'll continue that series this morning, Bless This Home. And this is the Beatitudes. Jesus has begun the Sermon on the Mount here, and so we're going to be looking at the first few verses of uh, Matthew chapter 5. And what he's doing here in Matthew chapter 5 and, and 6 and 7 is he's talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And one of the key things that we understand from Scripture is, is that as disciples of Jesus, the very first place that we talk about that we live out our faith is in our home. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be digging into the Beatitudes, we're going to be digging into these basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus with the understanding of these are the foundational pieces of being a disciple of Jesus and how we live these out in our households. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, where we've already gone verses 1 through 3. And so if you were here with us last week, either in person or through Facebook or whatever, you know that this week your homework was to have memorized Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. How many of you remembered that? How many of you put it in your Remind homework app for Jesus and knew that coming to church this week you had to memorize it? Anybody remember that? Two of you. That's awesome. All right. That's great. Okay. So the two of you, along with everyone else, one of the things that I learned whenever I was in choir um, was if you didn't know the words, you just sang watermelon, watermelon, watermelon lightly, not to distract your neighbor, but so that everyone out here thought you knew what you were talking about. All right, so we'll just do that this morning. If you have memorized Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, in just a second, when I say 3, you're just going to just kind of say it out loud, okay? And um, and we're going to just kind of be like heaven because... Some of you have memorized it in the New American Standard Version. Some of you have memorized it in the King James Version. Some of you have memorized it in the Message Version. Some of you are the NIV or something. And so it'll just kind of be random all over the place. So whatever you say is going to be right because no one's going to understand what you're saying anyway. Okay? So if you're a guest and you're like, do they do this all the time? No, we don't. All right? Do I have to have homework every week? No, you don't. Okay? So Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Okay? We're not going to show it on the screen. Don't let them cheat. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, okay, whenever I say 3, you're going to memorize it. You're going to say what you've memorized, okay? 1, 2, 3. Blessed are the... Awesome, that's great. Way to read from your books in front of you. So hey, this morning, this is an interesting idea, isn't it? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is an interesting idea that Jesus would throw out to his disciples and say, hey, to be a disciple of Jesus, here's one of the things I want you to get, is that you should mourn. Like, okay, I get this. And in the midst of that mourning, there will be comforting. The word mourn in the original language is pentheo, and this is the Greek, the, the Greek word. It's the strongest word that they have to express mourning. As a matter of fact, that's wearing black this morning. Whenever we mourn, what do we have a tendency to do? We wear black or dark colors to express visibly on the outside, what's happening on the inside. And so this idea of mourning literally is because of death and a separation between you and the loved one. And so there's this sense of, I once had a relationship, I once had a connection to someone or something, and because of death, now there's this inability to be with and to spend time with, to talk to, 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 to hold or whatever, someone or something because there's been a death and so there's this separation so there's a this is a mourning that's so deep that there's no way that your mourning can be that you're no way that your mourning can be hidden people are going to know that you're mourning whether it's through your clothes whether it's 
through a black veil, whether it's through the tears, whether it's going to be, people are going to know that you're mourning, that the death is so significant to you that you're going to, you're going to mourn it. Okay? And so this is this idea. As a matter of fact, this very word is used whenever um, Jacob finds out that Joseph, or he believes that Joseph is dead. His brothers bring him his coat, and it's, there's blood all over it. And so he begins to go into this deep mourning because he's never going to see his son again. It's also the same word used for David whenever he finds out that his son Absalom has passed. And so his mourning in that, that there's this separation, this, this idea that you're never going to be with them again. One of the moments as a pastor, one of the things that, that I'm privileged to be a part of, but it's also a difficult part of the ministry, is being a part of funerals. And there was a funeral a few years ago that I did, and it was for a young man who was, who was killed. Uh, he was texting and driving, and he missed a curve and ran into a tree. And so he was 21 years of age. And so you think, man, there's a whole bunch of life ahead of him. And so in this moment, we're there in front of the church, and his mother is a follower of Jesus, and his father's not a follower of Jesus. And so... Mom and I, we had talked about this, and so they had the, the casket were down there, and here I am trying to offer words of comfort in the midst of deep sorrow and of mourning and the sense of what's happening. And so um, usually whenever I'm teaching in a funeral, we don't have an open casket. We close the casket because it's just something I don't want to be happening. And uh, it's difficult enough, right? And so, but they, the father just requested, please, 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 I need to keep, I need to look at my son. I need to keep my eyes on my son. He was my, my buddy. He was my pal. All these different things. And so here I am trying to offer words of comfort. And I have two different perspectives. I have a mom here who's obviously she's grieving the loss of her son. But as a believer, she's like, I think there might be hope. I think there might be an opportunity for me to see him again if he is a believer. She didn't know where he was standing in that. And then the father who's like, I'm not a believer. I'm not interested. We're just here because this is what you do at a church. And so he had no concept of what it meant to have a relationship with God in his, in his mind. This was final. This was in. And so in the middle of the message, the disparity of mourning without hope in Christ became extremely evident to me when the father from the front row gets up and literally begins crawling in the casket to hold his son. And so that sense of mourning and of loss and of separation from those that you love without hope. And so here Jesus in this moment is telling us, listen, blessed are those in the midst of life circumstances, blessed are those who can mourn in Christ because you will find comfort even in the deepest, darkest days of life because you have hope through the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that one day we will be with those that we love and care about as we worship Jesus together. And so this idea of mourning, what is mourning? What do we mourn? The things that we naturally mourn are we, we mourn the loss of a, a loved one, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, a grandparent. We mourn the loss of a pet. You know, we mourn the loss of finances. We mourn the loss of a home. We mourn the loss of dreams, we mourn the loss of our health. There's, there's all kinds of things and all different types of levels of mourning and of grief for things that we lose. And some are, are, are darker and deeper and, and go further down for us in understanding what mourning is and what loss is. And so as we, we get into this idea of mourning and grief and what we've lost, there's some things that we naturally mourn. And those are what we just talked about, the family, the friends, and all of that. But then there's also in this passage... 
Jesus takes us a little bit further and he says, listen, there are going to be things that you naturally mourn, that you lose, but I will also want you to understand as a follower of me, as a disciple of me, as a student of me, there's some other things that you should be mourning. And the first thing that, as followers of Jesus, that we should mourn is our own personal sin. That there are going to come times in life where we mess up, where we miss the mark, where we don't, we fall short, and in those moments of falling short, there should be a natural grieving. There should be a natural sorrow. There should be a natural something, because in that moment of sin, there's this sense of separation, because the relationship is broken. Not because Jesus has moved, not because God has moved. God is still there, present, always, forever. But we, in our sin, we back up, which is our natural tendency, that when we mess up with God, we want to remove ourselves, because in our sin... There's a sense of unholiness, there's a sense of darkness, there's a sense of evil, and so it raises up with inside of us, and so in the presence of holiness, in the presence of God's character, and who He is, we naturally kind of back away, and so there's this chasm or this separation because of sin in our life, and so God says, naturally what should happen in that moment, we recognize that we've moved away from God because of our sin, and there should be mourning in their grief. We've That old word, repentance. Right, Because when we sin, we then are walking away from God. God has stayed the same. He stayed in the same place. But we walk away. And in this moment when we realize, all of a sudden, like, oh, wait, I'm not pursuing Christ. I'm pursuing myself. I stop. I grieve and I mourn because I've moved from Christ. And repentance then turns my heart back. And I move to being back to Christ because I'm repenting and mourning and sorrow. In James chapter 4, verse 9, um, the author here says, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. This is, again, this, this idea of mourning over our moving away from our loved one, our moving away from Jesus himself. The other thing that we should be mourning is not just our own personal sins, but we should also mourn the sins of our community. We should be mourning the sins of those around us, that we should be righteously angry we should be righteously frustrated we should be righteously mourning over those around us that are sin and have moved away from what's right so for us as followers of jesus there should be some things that we naturally are angry about we should be angry and frustrated by the fact that there are children that do not have a mother and father that should anger us because god is a god of the widows and the orphans so if our god is a god of widow and orphans and bringing them in that's what as Christians, we should be looking around saying, hey, there's children without mothers and fathers. What can we do to provide family for them? That we should be righteously angry and upset that there are people around the world that don't have the basic needs in life, that they don't have water and food and clothing. And so we have the opportunity, especially as American Christians, to, to intercede on their behalf and not just pray, but we can practically give money and, and be a part of bringing life to a situation where they need life brought. It should break our heart that other people are used for our benefit, that there are women, that there are children, that there are others, that they are literally, they are being sold off, that they are being used for other people's benefits, and that they are being, the image of God is being destroyed and being totally wiped away from them because they happen to be a child that's in need, and so someone sells them off or someone takes them. And so our hearts should be moved by and angered and frustrated by that there are people that are not being lifted up as the image of God. As a matter of fact, they're being destroyed as human beings. And so what is it about us 
as we look around, what are we being mourning? What are we mourning for? What are we grieving over? And so each one of our hearts are touched in different ways by different things, but there are opportunities for us as we pray, God, make my heart like your heart. And so if these are things that grieve God's heart, and if our heart is looking a little bit more like Jesus' heart and more, a little bit more like God's heart, then there are the things that grieve God should begin to grieve us. And so if those things aren't grieving us, if they're not causing sorrow, if they're not causing pain for us, then we need to step back and say, okay, am I growing closer to him? Am I moving closer to looking and acting and thinking like Jesus? Because that's what we should be. Those things should frustrate us and have bring anger, a righteous anger within us that we can help bring life in the midst of where there's death and where there's evil. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells the church, you're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Now, if we remove somebody from the fellowship here at Second Baptist Church, that would be in the Fayette County News, right? It's just something. But listen, what he's saying is, listen, there's, there are times within a fellowship that we applaud people for doing things or being a part of stuff that actually we should be mourning and sorrowing after. Because we are a people that are supposed to be different. We are to be a holy people, worshiping a holy God. And so there are things that we should at least come alongside of and say, listen, hey, I'm sorry that you're walking in this place. And because of that, that does not look like how God would do life. And so in this specific instance, this was a, this was a man that was having an inappropriate relationship with someone in his family. And so Paul was saying, listen, you're, this guy's bragging about it and you're, you're patting him on the back when, as a matter of fact, you should be pulling him into the room and there should be four or five guys saying, listen, this does not look like what God would do. This is not what the community of God does. And so what does that look like for us as followers of Jesus? What are the things that we're mourning by? And listen, there's, there's some tough things. Life happens and there are times for us as followers of Jesus where we need to pull some people aside and have some difficult conversations, and this was one of those moments. Why are we to mourn? What are we to mourn? Why are we to mourn? Because these things break the heart of God. The things that move us away from Him break His heart and it breaks the fellowship that we have for Him with Him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How do we have a tendency, what do we do naturally when we're trying to find comfort? The natural person begins to medicate. They're looking for peace. They're looking for comfort. They don't want to have pain. They don't want to have the grief. They don't want to deal with the mourning. And so they're tired of wearing black. They're tired of the anxiety. They're tired of the depression. They're tired of being angry. They want to, they want to move forward. They want to, to go forward in the next step. And, 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 and let's be honest, grieving, each one of us grieve differently. And there's a season of grieving. There's length of grieving. And it, each one of us so it's going to take longer, it's going to look different and all that. But there's a natural tendency for us, not in Christ, when we're struggling with our relationship with Christ in the midst of our grief, to medicate. Because we don't want the pain, we don't want the grief, we don't want that. And so we begin to medicate, so we begin to drink, begin to take drugs, we begin to do risk, participate in risky behavior. We tend to do things so that we can medicate ourselves, we begin to buy things and to to hoard and hold on to things because because of loss we feel like that we've lost control of our life and so let me begin to spend and hoard and hold on to things so I can have somewhere some way I can have control and so in this process of grieving when we don't grieve 
in the way that God wants us to grieve, then we begin to medicate and to seek other options so that we can find that for a moment, that peace that passes understanding, so we begin to medicate, so at least for a moment we can feel like that we're, we're in control and that we don't have this pain and this stuff that we're struggling with. We're, in reality, one of the things is about the grieving period is that let's admit that we're grieving, let's admit the loss, and let's move toward it. Let's move toward the grief and deal with it and struggle with it and fight through it so that we can find some semblance of, of peace even if we don't fully understand it, never grasp it on this side of the on this side of heaven, but to move forward toward it so that we can embrace who Jesus is and that He can walk with us through it. Because this word comfort is paraclesis. And paraclesis literally means to comfort, to exhort. Okay? And so also the other word for paraclesis, the other word that just is just like this, the root of this is paraclete. And paraclete is the word for the Holy Spirit. And so that the Holy Spirit comes to bring comfort to the followers of Jesus in the midst of our deep mourning. And so that as followers of Jesus in the darkest, deepest times of mourning, we don't have to run to other things to medicate. We don't have to run to other things to ease the pain. We don't have to run to other things to bring temporary peace that passes whatever in that moment. As a matter of fact, that the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, the great exhorter, is there with us in this huge chasm of separation that we're in and that we're experiencing. And this is a beautiful picture that God has provided for us, is that in these darkest, deepest times of life, that we can find comfort because as followers of Christ, the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, resides with inside of us and moves us through even the darkest times. So here's some images of this word paraclete that I want you to hear and to see. The first image of this idea of paraclete is that it's a person called in to advocate for us, a person called in to advocate for us when we are helpless. That there's a matter of fact that there's people in society, this is a job that people have in our society, that they're called advocates. And that when someone cannot advocate for themselves, do not have the ability to move forward, we bring in advocates to speak on their behalf, to jump in and to actually help them solve the situation and to move forward. And this is, this is one of the meanings of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the, the actions of the Holy Spirit. One of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is to come and to advocate on our behalf when we are unable, when we are helpless, to move forward. And so there are going to be moments in our grief, there are going to be moments in our mourning where we are unable to move forward. And at the very characteristic of who the Holy Spirit is that they are there and they are standing on our behalf and they are advocating on our behalf so that we can move forward. When we don't even know what to ask, we don't even know what the next step is, the Holy Spirit guides our next step. The Holy Spirit asks the right question to move us forward. The other characteristic of the paraclete of the Holy Spirit is that it's a person who exhorts a person whenever they're unable to stand on their own. That you are so defeated. Have you ever been to this place where you're so defeated, you feel like you can't even get up out of bed. Literally, this person comes, they pull the sheets back, they get you dressed, they move you, and they literally stand at the front door of your house, and they are propping you up, and they are pushing you out the door, and they're whispering, baby steps. Baby steps. Get in the car. Start the car. Make the drive. Get to work have a cup of coffee, that maybe that you just need to get in and that literally the Holy Spirit is there propping you up, that advocating on your behalf 
the next steps, but also exhorting you and propping you up and moving you because you've got to get moving. We've got to keep going. Life is still going on. And that, that, that's what the Holy Spirit does is it advocates on your behalf when you are completely helpless. And even as a matter of fact, pulls back the sheets and gets you up and props you up and says, hey, step by step, day by day, let's keep moving forward as we move through this. I'm walking with you in this morning. I'm here with you. Another characteristic of the Holy Spirit it's as a person who stands in as a character witness when you're on trial. That when you are unable to defend yourself, whenever you can't have the word, whenever you don't have the words or your character witness is not enough, that others, the Holy Spirit literally stands in as a witness on your behalf and shares about who you are and the character that you have and what you're about in Christ. Because remember, our identity is now in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is a child of God. Hey, this is a child of the King. He has all of the rights and privileges of a child of the King. And so the Holy Spirit, again, in that moment where we don't even have the words to express to defend our character, the Holy Spirit is our lawyer. The Holy Spirit is our character witness. And he's up there and he's saying, listen, you ain't got nothing on this dude. You ain't got nothing on this girl. She's a child of the King. You can't condemn because of who they are in Christ. There is, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even in those moments where we feel like we are responsible in the midst of our grief, because that's a part of how the enemy attacks us, he stands at the front of the courtroom and says, therefore, there is no condemnation for the child of the king. He's propped us up. He's a character witness. He advocates for us. And finally, the great comforter is a person who exhorts his troops who are about to go into battle. That person that stands up, I, I, when I was restudying this and rethinking about it, I thought about that, the scene from Patton where George C. Scott's standing in front of the big flag and he's exhorting this. I was going to show it in church, but it's probably not appropriate. Go home and watch it. Not with your kids. But he exhorts his troops because he knows that a battle is coming that may or may not be won. I mean, it is a serious battle. And so he stands in front of his troops and he exhorts them with everything he's got. He's got every single illustration. He is passionately saying, listen, you may be, as you see what the battle lines look like, as you look over the battlefield and you see, you may grow faint of heart. So that's what the Holy Spirit says. As you look over your day, as you look over the battlefield that's before you, you may grow faint of heart, but the Holy Spirit exhorts us, encourages us, props us up and says, listen, you can go into the battle and you can win. As a matter of fact, He reminds us we've already won in Christ. But we still have to do battle. What a beautiful image for us as followers of Jesus that in Christ, in the midst of our mourning, that we can find comfort through the Comforter who advocates on our behalf, who witnesses to our character and attests to our character in Christ and exhorts us and props us up. And as the battle is coming, exhorts us to move into the battle and to remind us that, listen, it's going to be tough, it's going to be bloody, it's going to be arrows are going to be coming from everywhere, bullets are going to be coming from everywhere, the enemy is going to be attacking from all sides, but I've got your back. And ultimately, listen, at the end of the battle, those in Christ will be standing in victorious will be our hymn. The battle hymn of this republic is victorious in Christ. 
So for us in our homes, what does it look like to have a blessed home? It means that in the midst of the deepest, darkest days, we have hope in Christ. And in the midst of those deepest, darkest days, that hope in Christ moves us what seems like an an unapproachable and unwalkable and uncrossable path or chasm that, that there's no way that we can get across this depth of pain, this mourning, this loss. There's no way that we can get there. And Christ says to us, in me, through the Holy Spirit, He will exhort you and He will walk you, He will dress you, He will advocate, He will move you, He will ask the questions, He will guide you, He will provide the strength that you need to get you from today to tomorrow, to the next day, to the next day, to where we can walk out of this together. God does not waste our pain, God does not waste our our hurts, God does not waste our mourning, He moves us through it, and then as a matter of fact, He even tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that sometimes the most, the darkest things that we walk through, that God's in the midst of that, and even on the other side, that someone is going to be walking through the very same thing, and that we get to join with them and walk with them, with the Holy Spirit, with them. And that very, the very stuff that you're walking through is preparing you for ministry on the other side. So for us, we get to join with the Holy Spirit. Where in your home, where in your own life, should there be mourning? And there's not. Where in your home is there, should there be mourning and there's not? Where is there stuff in your life that the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, this grieves the heart of God and you just, we just keep pushing it to the side? At some point, God will just let you. He, heart, he allows the heart to be hardened. As your heart is transformable, as your heart is continuing to be moldable and shapeable, where is God saying, I want to chisel this out, I want to slough this off and that you can look and think and act a little bit more like me? Where does there need to be some mourning so that you can move to that next place that God has for you? And where is God wanting to bring comfort in the midst of some places that you're mourning and you're trying to medicate and you're trying to do some things and you're trying to find that peace that passes understanding and so you're, you're trying to self-medicate and when the great comforter resides with inside of you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit resides with inside of you and He's trying to help you walk to this next place. So many times we say, God, I've got it, and we kind of just set his advice to the side and try to do it on our own. Where is the Spirit of God trying to move you forward and literally prop you up and say, let's just get through today. Let's just focus on today. Let's focus on what I need for you to do today. Listen, the home is where we are as followers of Jesus being attacked. In the home is where Satan is drastically attacking and his arrows are armed and ready. He's firing them day after day at the home and he's trying to break apart the home. As a matter of fact, he's being hugely successful at breaking apart the home. The place that should be a place of peace is a place of unrest. The place that should be a place of comfort is not a place of comfort. A place that should be life-giving is actually evil and taking life. And so what is it, what do we need to do to get back to this place of being where home is not just a house, but it's a home, it's a place of safety and of comfort and of life-giving where children and grandchildren can grow up and be and act and think and move forward and have a life that's built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and their pursuit is Jesus and Him alone. Bless those who mourn for they will be comforted.
Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, none of us, none of our homes are perfect. None of our homes ever will be. None of our walks with You will be perfect. There's moments where we take our own paths or we stray from the path that You have for us. Father, I pray that our hearts would be moldable and shapeable and transformable. That, Father, that when we should be mourning over sin in our life, when we should be mourning over missing the mark in our life, that we would grieve and have sorrow over those things, that we would repent and return to You. And that, Father, that in the deepest, darkest days of mourning, that we would find comfort in the great Comforter that we would find comfort in the one that advocates on our behalf and is a character witness for us and that exhorts us to stand strong in the battle because the victory is yours. Father, as students of the way of Jesus, may we study well. May we sit at the feet of the rabbi Jesus and as we walk life with him, may the dust of our rabbi, may his dust as he walks, as we follow closely behind him, may his dust kick up on our feet. And may people see in us that we are students of Rabbi Jesus, of Messiah Jesus, of King of Kings and Lord of Lords Jesus, of the Anointed One Jesus, the Son of God Jesus, the Son of Man Jesus. Father, may we worship him this morning for what he has done in our hearts and our lives. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.